are listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry, please visit EnduringWord.com. Hey everybody, David Guzik here. Uh, glad you could join me on this Thursday afternoon. I can hardly believe it. It is two Thursdays in a row that I've been able to do the live chat from my home here in Santa Barbara, California. Uh, some people have asked whether we're okay with fires and such. Yes, there's some fires burning in Southern California, all, all throughout the state actually, but really nothing reaching right in our immediate area. I'm very, very happy to be with you here today. And whether you're joining us live or whether you're joining us over the podcast or on just the recorded version of the video, I'm glad you could make it. I usually have this format on our Thursdays, and I don't know if you can hear it, but my voice isn't exactly as strong as it always is, which is something of a miracle because just really yesterday, as I take a drink of some tea that my wife made me, just yesterday, I couldn't talk at all. So I'm very pleased that today I can at least speak a little bit and uh, we'll get through as much of the program as we can today. I start off with an opening subject and then just take whatever chat questions come in over the um, uh, people viewing the video. So the question I want to open with today is, is October 31st important for Christians? Is October 31st important for Christians? Now, <clears throat> there's a lot of different things I could say about this. I could talk about Halloween and the problems with Halloween and sort of the occultic and, you know, dark associations with it. I could talk about how churches oftentimes strategically try to use October 31st as a way to reach out to the community because it's something that the community is very open to. It's very fascinating. I don't think it's good, but it's fascinating that I've heard that uh, Halloween is now the second largest retail holiday in the United States. In other words, it sells more stuff for Halloween than anything else. I'm kind of surprised, maybe a little bit shocked by that. The, uh, the third thing, though, is what I really want to talk about, <laughs> is what I think the greatest meaning of October 31st is, is that it's Reformation Day. On October 31st, 1517, so that's 502 years ago today, a German monk, university professor, and pastor named Martin Luther published 95 complaints against a particular practice in the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I'm going to talk about what that practice was and just give you a little bit of background on it, but I just want you to know, I'm a big Martin Luther fan. I think God used that man remarkably. I think God called him up to do something that was necessary in the church, and though there were reformers before him, I'm thinking of men like uh, John Huss and uh, men like uh, Wycliffe. Though there were reformers before him and though there were reformers after him and other reformers during his time, Martin Luther did not do his work alone. At the same time, God used Luther in a particular way. And so you can tell right here on this one side, I got my Martin Luther bobblehead and in honor to his remarkable wife, Katie, Catherine von Bora, I've got uh, my bobblehead there. I got this little Playmobil figure of Martin Luther. <coughs> These were all the rage in Germany some years ago when they first came out. People thought they were very popular. Uh, I've got a 
can of Luther Inc. It's an energy drink that I got in Wittenberg. You know, it's just kind of a jag, jagger thing, but uh, so, something like some kind of energy drink, like Red Bull or something like that. But it's um, from Wittenberg, and uh, it's referring back to some contest or some uh, spiritual warfare that Martin Luther fought with the devil regarding ink. I'm not going to get in there right now. Here's the other thing I want to show you. I've got, I don't know if you got this, the Martin Luther Nutcracker. Well, if you don't have the Martin Luther Nutcracker, I don't know what you're doing. I want to thank Barbara for a very kind gift to me of this some years ago. And uh, there it is, the Martin Luther Nutcracker. So, uh, look, I, I'm a big fan of Martin Luther, but I have to tell you something. We celebrate October 31st uh, because it was said to be on that day that Martin Luther nailed the 95 complaints or the 95 theses, to be technically correct, to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. Now, this is what I got to be honest with you about. There's good historical reason to question whether or not Luther actually did that. Now, there's no historical reason to, to question that he wrote the 95 theses or complaints and that he published them on October 31st. It seems very certain he did that. But Luther himself never mentioned the event in his own life. Isn't that interesting? The first mention of the event came after Martin Luther died. It came from Philip Melanchthon, Luther's successor. Now, we would generally regard uh, Melanchthon as being a reliable guy. Um, he wasn't a, a crazy man or a guy just to make up things. But usually historians are looking for a little more in the historical confirmation department than just to hear that um, uh, from one person after the event. But for sure, we know this, that on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther wrote those 95 complaints or theses, and he sent them to a few religious and civil leaders. And that was the spark that ignited the fire of the Reformation. Let me tell you something. We owe a tremendous debt to Martin Luther and to the God who, through him, brought so much necessary change to the church. Sometimes the work of Martin Luther and the Reformation has been expressed in what's called the five solas. Sola Scriptura, which means the Bible alone. Sola Fide, which means by faith alone. Sola Gratia, which means by grace alone. Sola Christus, which means by Christ alone. And solo deo gloria, which means to the glory of God alone. And uh, I believe that. I, I believe those five solas. I think they're very important for the church today. I, I'd love to do a YouTube series on the five solas because I think they're important. I, I think we want to be those kind of Christians. Uh, the Bible alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Now, the only areas I would disagree with Luther would be the areas where, in my opinion, and I say not my opinion to mean it's only my opinion, but I, I, I just want to acknowledge that there's many who disagree with me. But the areas in which, in my opinion, he departed from some of those solas. Let me read to you a quote that I'm going to put in the comments um, someplace or another. Here's the quote. What a blessing it would have been in Luther's time if the Reformation had been carried out completely. Great as the work was, it was in some ways 
a very superficial thing and left deadly errors untouched. You know who said that? Uh, Charles Spurgeon. Another guy I got a bobblehead of somewhere around here. And I have to say, I, I agree with Spurgeon's assessment there. Let me read you that statement one more time. What a blessing it would have been in Luther's time if the Reformation had been carried out completely. Great as the work was, it was in some points a very superficial thing and left deadly errors untouched. And again, that's by Charles Spurgeon. Now, I don't mean to be critical of Martin Luther for the things he didn't accomplish. Listen, what he did accomplish was a gift from God. And, and maybe it was just ordained by God that Luther accomplished all that he possibly could. But I don't think it can be denied that in some ways that Luther, again, just what Spurgeon said, it would have been a blessing if those solas would have been carried out more completely. And I think that that's kind of our mission, our job. And even my Reformed brethren would say the same thing. One of the mottos of the Reformed is say we're to be always reforming. And I say amen to that always reforming, never ending that work. Now, I open this by saying that I thought that October 31st was important for Christians. And when I say that, I don't want to leave out the Roman Catholics and the Orthodox. Though I know that the Roman Catholics and the Orthodox are not Protestant, yet I would say to them, you still live in a world profoundly shaped by the Reformation. And I would say this to Roman Catholics, to Orthodox, to Protestants, I'd say this to anybody. I say it to myself. We recognize that every institution can sort of turn in on itself and need some kind of reform or revival, especially over the span of centuries. I think that was the case with the Roman Catholic Church in Martin Luther's day. We want to be always reforming. So I don't know if you know, but I love the subject of church history. On the YouTube channel, we have a whole uh, series of church history that you can get. I, maybe I'll talk more about it in special videos. But right now, let's go to the questions and comments here in the chat window. Thanks for everybody. Uh, hi to everybody. So pleased that so many of you could join. Um, Ian asks, can you speak to Lordship Salvation? Is it biblical? All right, Ian. Let me sort of give a little definition of what most people define as Lordship Salvation. Lordship Salvation is the basic idea that Jesus Christ isn't your Savior unless he is also your Lord. The idea that it's possible to have Jesus be your Savior and not be your Lord is an idea held by some people. Now, I know so much of this gets down to precise definitions and concepts. It's worthy to talk about. But I would just say this, Ian. I believe that the Bible is very clear that not only is faith required for um, salvation, but I would regard it to be the, the twin of faith. Or maybe I'd even define it as the the other side of the faith of coin, it's there, there's one coin of turning to God. On one side of it is faith. On the other side of it is repentance. I mean, there has to be faith and repentance. And, and if there's no faith or there's no repentance, 
it's fair for us to question the salvation of somebody. Now, look, ultimately, God alone knows, and we recognize that, but we're not encouraging people to come to Jesus Christ without repentance, without a recognition that Jesus Christ is Lord and wants to reign over every area of their life. Now, it is true that this process that God does in our life of changing us, that it's always going on, it never ends until we get to heaven, no Christian is perfect. No pers- no Christian has ever perfectly made Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. We're imperfect people. But there has to be some kind of demonstration, some kind of step. Now, if someone defines that as lordship salvation, then I would say I believe in lordship salvation. I don't believe we earn our salvation by our obedience. I don't believe that you have to be good enough to get to heaven. But I believe that the grace of God that saves me will also bring and at least begin transformation in my life. If there's no transformation, then I think it's fair for somebody to ask whether or not that faith, that grace was ever given. So Ian, I hope that's helpful for you. A great question. Um, Levi or Levy uh, asked the question, do you go to Calvary Chapel? Yes, I do. My Christian upbringing has been within the Calvary Chapel family of churches. I am so grateful for what I've learned from my Calvary Chapel brethren over the years. Um, My earnest desire is that God has used some of these leaders and some of these men to have a great influence upon my life. Um, I don't think Calvary Chapel is perfect, but man, do I appreciate what God has done through them and what God will continue to do through Calvary Chapel. Um, so yes, Lee, that is true. Um, Lee, blessings to you. Uh, Agnes, how do I know if I am born again? Well, Agnes, that's a great question. How does somebody know if they're born again? First of all, we should understand this, that if you have truly put your faith on Jesus Christ, And I'm not saying that you've perfectly put your faith on Jesus, but you have put it on Jesus Christ. You trust in, rely on, and cling to him for the salvation of your soul. If that's the case, and if you've repented from your sins, again, I'm not talking about perfect repentance. Nobody's repented perfectly of anything except, well, no, not even Jesus perfectly repented because he never had anything to repent of. But you get what I mean. If there's genuine faith, and genuine repentance, you can believe faith upon Jesus Christ, upon what he did for you at the cross and through the resurrection. Not just in Jesus as a moral teacher or ethical example, but in his sacrifice on the cross to rescue you from a debt you couldn't pay before God. So, so Agnes, I would just say, if we do have faith in the right place, And if we have repentance in our life, demonstrated at least in some ways, then we can believe God's word that all those who call upon the name of the Lord in those ways shall be saved. Now, there's going to be times when we feel that sense of salvation. There's going to be times when we have a strong sense, yes, I'm right with God, and, and, uh, and, and I've been reconciled to him, and the connection I have with God is beautiful and strong. There's going to be times like that. And there's going to be times 
where perhaps we feel nothing, or maybe even we feel we're on the outs with God. Now, I'm not saying that those feelings are unimportant, but they shouldn't rule the Christian life. Go back to what the Bible says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him should have everlasting life. If that's you, Agnes, then you can say, I'm born again. If that's you, then you can say, there is some demonstration of the fruit of repentance in my life. And you can find comfort in that. Uh, greetings, Horatio from Peru. Um, why is the name of the father in the law of Moses changed to Ruel to Jethro? Sorry for my English. Okay, Horatio. Horatio is referring to the issue in the book of Exodus, I believe, where in some places, the father-in-law of Moses is referred to as Ruel, and in other places, his name is referred to as Jethro. Horatio, uh, I, I, I haven't done deep dive on this. I'll just give you the normal answer for these situations. These were multicultural people. They interacted with people from different cultures. Therefore, just as Paul had a Roman name, which was Paul, and he also had a, a Hebrew name, which was a Saul, just as Peter had the name Cephas, but he also had the name Peter. You, you know, I mean, this is just a common thing. Because they were multicultural people, oftentimes they had names by which they were known in different cultures. Sometimes they were just the translation. Sometimes they just sounded similar. So probably he was known as something like uh, maybe Ruel among his um, sort of Bedouin type people out in the desert. Maybe he was known as Jethro among the Israelites. I, I don't know, but usually we have these different names for the same person are effect of these cultures coming into connection one with another. Uh, Anya says, hi, Anya. Nice to hear from you. Looking forward to seeing you soon. Uh, hi, David. We think it's also remarkable that Reformation Day is a public holiday in nine states in Germany, including Hamburg. Well, that's wonderful. Hope you guys enjoyed your holiday today. And I think it is. You know, it, it's an appropriate holiday because the Reformation, uh, let me put it this way. There's no doubt that the most compelling person of all human history is Jesus Christ. No question about that. I would make the case that the most compelling person of the last thousand years was Martin Luther. Now, I know that's the kind of thing historians debate, and so I can't like pronounce this and everybody agrees, but I think I can make a pretty good case for it. The most consequential person to walk this earth in the last thousand years was Martin Luther of Germany. And so it's appropriate that in at least nine of the German states that they recognize Reformation Day as a holiday. Lee asks, can you talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit baptizing us into Christ? Lee, you're drawing on some terminology from... Romans chapter 6. I'm going to see if I can turn over there. In Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about the idea of baptism. And he means it, of course, both literally, but he's also speaking of baptism somewhat figuratively as well. He says, 
Or do you not know, I'm reading from Romans chapter 6, verse 3, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? All right, I, I believe that what Paul's speaking about here is the spiritual aspect of baptism. When a person is literally baptized, they are baptized into water. The, the word means to dip, to immerse, to cover over. So you think of somebody being baptized into water, water baptism. But that's not the only kind of immersion that the believer is to experience. Um, there's a such thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke of people being baptized with the Spirit and with fire. In other words, immersed both with the Holy Spirit and into fire. I believe he meant that in the sense of suffering or trials. And then also, we have this idea here in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, of being baptized, being immersed into Christ. And I think what Paul is doing is he's drawing together the image of baptism and saying, just as much as a person is completely immersed into water, into literal baptism, so the Holy Spirit, when we are saved, he baptized us into Jesus Christ. We are completely immersed, completely identified with Jesus. Okay, um, two oh nine says hello. Here's NorCal. Today I watched Halloween celebration more than Reformation. What do you think is right for Christians to celebrate the evil originated celebration as culture thoughts? Look, this has always been a debate among culture among Christians in regarding the culture that they live in. Um. Some, sometimes Christians are in a place where they need to oppose the things of the culture. Sometimes Christians are in a place where they need to use the things of the culture to reach the culture for Jesus Christ. And other times Christians just kind of ignore it one way or the other. I, I, I think that in different places with different believers, there may be different answers, but if there's any kind of, um, we shouldn't celebrate the evil this shouldn't be our, our focus at all. And it's an opportune time to warn people of the dangers of a cult, of new age things, of these kind of things. But at the same time, uh, many churches often, some don't have anything to do with it, some use it as an opportunity to reach out to the community. I think these are sort of individual calls, but I would exhort Christians to use it as an opportunity to teach people about the reality of the dark, malign spiritual realm, spiritual deception, and to say that we as believers, we don't need to buy into that. We can live by the light and the truth of God. Um, all right. I'm going to be straight with you, friends. My voice is kind of tiring out. I'm going to go through these last ones and give some quick answers to them. And then uh, maybe I'll come back and hit them for a longer one uh, in another Q&A time. Uh, Victor asks, am I a cessationist or a continuationist? Um, Victor, I believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. Um, I would love to talk about that more in a greater uh, opportunity. Um, I'm sympathetic to many of the concerns of the cessationist crowd, uh, but um, I do believe that the gifts of the Spirit are continued to the present day. Uh, Raymond asks, 
I believe and have faith in Jesus. I seldom go to church. People tell me I'm not a Christian enough. Isn't faith alone enough for the Christian? Raymond, that's true. But this transforming work that God does in our life, as part of this transforming work, he gives us a love for the people of God and a desire to gather with them. I would hope that as you continue on in your Christian life, there would be a genuine love for your Christian brothers and sisters. I just recommend you read the book of 1 John. 1 John makes it really clear that if we say we love God, but we don't love our brothers and sisters, something's very wrong. Now, I'm not trying to say that church attendance is the only measure of love for others, uh, other believers, but it's one measure, and I think it's an important one. It's not the only one, but it is an important one. So, Raymond, that's it. it it's not like we're saved by our church attendance. No, not at all. And, and you're correct in pointing that out. But we do believe that if a person is truly saved, that the, the transforming work that God begins in their life, one of the things it'll do, it'll give them a love for their other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and a desire to gather with them. Uh, let's see. Jennifer. A preacher told me that I should know the exact moment I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then he took me through various verses in the Bible uh, to be absolutely sure. Your thoughts. Jennifer, I'm just going to give this a very quick answer because of my voice. I would disagree with that, Jennifer. Um, I think some people know the exact moment of their baptism of the Holy Spirit. Other people do not. Um, so I, I don't think that uh, that's something that every believer necessarily knows. Uh, Dean says, a question after time, after Jesus, Judas committed suicide, who became the 12th disciple? Well, uh, Dean, I would just say, um, according to Acts chapter one, it was Matthias. Now, whether that was a mistake or not is worth talking about, but according to Acts chapter one, it's pretty clear that Matthias replaced Judas. There's really no other way to read Acts chapter one other than to note that. I say to myself says, my church opened the door on Halloween for the kids. This is around the time when people are sticking needles in candy. The baby was sitting down and getting seriously injured. Well, I say to myself, I hope people would put a stop to that. Carlene says, um, as a Christian, research must be done on the origin of these types of celebrations at Halloween. Listen to the Holy Spirit and he'll be faithful to guide you. Thank you for that comment, Carlene. And then we're going to end with Levy's comment. Um, not, yeah, He's quoting Hebrews 10.25 in reference to Raymond not staying away from our assemblies, from our assembling together. Uh, yeah, Raymond, Hebrews 10, 25 is a very legitimate verse about how God works in our heart to uh, love our brothers and sisters in Christ and to want to get together with them. All right, uh, again, because my voice is kind of having a tough time today, I'm going to cut it a little bit early. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I can't tell you how excited I am to be back here for two weeks in a row. And the best I can tell, looking at my calendar, I'm going to be back here next Thursday, 12 noon Pacific time, to be here for another Q&A. I hope you can make it. Remember to subscribe to the channel. Remember to click a like. Um, remember to, you know, I don't know, let other people know. We're happy with what God is doing with the YouTube channel. And uh, thanks to all of those who pray for the work of Enduring Word. Those of you who pray for me and my voice. And uh, God bless you. Glad you could join me today.
You've been listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry and how to grow in your relationship with Jesus, please visit EnduringWord.com.